is up, everybody. Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions podcast. This is episode 98. What's up, B-Pimp? B is for B-Pimp and B is for Biden. That's right. B is for Biden. Uh, this is Amets. We, um, we, of course, like all good people, record podcasts as little in advance as possible before we release them. Uh, so we are very aware that Joe Biden has been declared the winner of this election. This isn't something that we recorded in 2018 or 2017. This is up to, I would say, even four to five days before it's released. I think that's that's an accurate uh, ballpark description of our, our lag time here, but I'm very excited. Um, I was on pins and needles waiting for that. So, Yeah, Tuesday was rough. Then there was a little bit of hope. Wednesday morning was starting to look better. By Wednesday afternoon, I would say we were at that point just waiting right. for more votes to be counted, but it was like getting pretty secure. And then finally on Saturday morning, it was declared. With that in mind, B-Pimp, do you have any declarative statements that you would like to make that I can um, cut in and cut out of the recording to make it sound prophetic? It's gonna be smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. I will say Donald Trump will concede with grace. <laughs> yes. He'll have a last second. Um, he'll, he'll do something that flies in the face of everything we know about him and just decide that mm -hmm. the country's more important and he's going to do the right thing and, and just ride off into the sunset. I know. I believe that too. And his Republican enablers will not be total cowards, even though they have been over the last four years. They'll suddenly find their footing and pivot back to just being normal people that don't want taxes. Exactly. Especially like Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and those like upstanding senators, they will not say anything regarding bullshit findings about uh, illegal voting nobody none of them will um suspiciously only mention cities that are predominantly black when they're talking about underhanded tactics nobody will continue to do that there'll be there will be no dog whistling happening in the next no dog whistling happening at all and yeah. for all the other uh like enabling republicans they won't ever congratulate joe biden for winning They'll just comment about things in the crowd saying stuff like, oh, now it's OK for them to not wear masks. That is I, I expect that not at all to happen. There will be none of that. There will be no. Um, well, you know, unlike the unlike the Democrats who kept talking about Russia, we're willing to let this go mm -hmm. when the difference and, and nobody will ignore the fact that the difference is there was actual reason to be suspicious versus this time when there is zero. Mm hmm. I will say, even though Joe Biden has won both the popular vote, obviously, by a lot, and the Electoral College, it is time to get rid of the Electoral College. Absolutely. And I don't want to sound like sour grapes to be like one of those folks that, you know, we lose the Electoral College uh, and now we say that we should get rid of it. But the Electoral College was reasonably close this time. When compared to the popular vote, it shouldn't have been. And if Trump had won the Electoral College, it would have been the third time in the last 20 years 
that someone who has not won the popular vote uh, won the electoral college. That shouldn't be happening. That's not like a representative democracy. It's just when you, I've been looking at some past elections just because of what's been going on this week. And when you look at the other times that it, it wasn't in sync recently, it's it just, like you said, it just doesn't feel right. It's not how it should work. And I would say the same thing if it was going the other way, like it should, if, if the majority, if the, if four and a half million more people feel one way than another way, then that's what should be happening. You know, I like, if it was me on the other side, I would say the same thing. Like that's, it's just not, it's not right. Right. No, it's, um, However, with that in mind, Pimp, can I take you back to a decade where the winner of the popular vote and the winner of Electoral College got to be the president? Yes. The 1990s? Oh, the 1990s. Uh, part four of our 1990s series. And what we're going to talk about for this episode are the best albums of the 1990s. There was a lot of good music in the 90s. Yeah, the 90s was actually, you know, what's interesting. I was thinking about it when we when we did our 80s um episodes too like you hear that i think we even talked about it briefly but you hear that um people go oh the 90s music was so bad like some people just kind of like trash decades for and i think it might just be the type of music certain people like they if that music wasn't popular that decade they hate it but i think the 90s is full of jams it is got tons of jams yeah it was a good good decade for one hit wonders, which we had covered in the past. Yeah. Uh, and like just one off jams, certainly. But then you dive into some of the better albums of the 90s and they were really, really good albums. Like the best albums of the 90s are classics in any era. Yeah. Uh, with Definitely. That. Um, all right. But before we talk about 90s music, we do have to talk about whiskey. Be pimp. What do you be drinking? So this is one that I've had one time, but the one time that I had it was at a bar. It was about six years ago and I don't remember it. So this is for me like a reaction tasting. Um, it's Angel's Envy. It is, it comes with a tag. I'm going to be very thorough here and read you all this info. Mm -hmm. After 40 years spent upholding bourbon's strict traditions and heritage, our master distiller decided to try something new. Lincoln Henderson began with an exceptional Kentucky straight bourbon and finished it in Ruby Port wine barrels for up Ooh. to six months, resulting in a whiskey of unprecedented smoothness and character. Mm -hmm. This unique process imbues the spirit with flavors of vanilla, ripe fruit, maple syrup, toast, and bitter chocolate for an unconventionally delicious finish. That is a lot of things going on. Toast? Yeah, apparently. It's like a breakfast. Yeah, quite curious then. It's, it's also interesting. It's 86.6 proof, which is 43.3% alcohol by volume. So a little low, or not, I guess not low, but like kind of an odd specific there for the proofing. Yeah. No, that is oddly specific. Where was it brewed? I mean, distilled. Sorry. I think it's Louisville. Yeah. And it's hand, it's hand numbered as well. It's got Ooh. a batch number. So from everything it's saying, it should be really good. I, maybe you've told me this before. Have you ever been to Louisville? Yes. I have only driven through it. I enjoyed Louisville quite a bit. I, yeah, I was actually surprised going, I think growing up, I assumed all that Louisville was, was a baseball bat factory. Right. But in going through it, it's, 
actually a reasonably sized city. Yeah, it had um, it had some good restaurants. It had good, you know, obviously the proximity to all the uh, distilleries is really nice because they really capitalize on that and they have like package tours where you can go to a few. So I had a good time there. I'd go back. Nice. Yeah, I never really figured out like what it, what is it about Kentucky that makes it ripe for for making bourbons. I mean, I get why, like, where I live in California is for, like, Napa and Sonoma Valley. Like, it makes sense that it's kind of like a wine haven. But I don't know what it is about geographically, what it is about Kentucky that makes it ripe for that. I'm not even sure. I know that they do have um, in the summers where they have, like, the hot, humid days and then, like, the night. Like, they did. They talk about that. I don't remember the specifics of the local um climate that make it work i do know i think a lot of the people that made whiskey like there was just a lot there and then it ended up getting protected as like oh yeah for it to be bourbon or like a lot of the bourbons ended up coming out of there but it's i'm sure there is something else and i know jack daniels in tennessee has like release um access to this spring that's got like a perfect water temperature that helps make Jack Daniels a certain way. So, I mean, I think some of it does have to do with that, like the local climate and everything, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious about this one, especially saying as uh, you had it six years ago, but don't remember much about it. Is the yeah, smell, it smell bringing back any kind of memories? Not really. It does smell. Sometimes I get a smell. Uh, I get an idea of cheapness or like quality in the smell and this smells like a quality drink. So let's see if it tastes. See if it tastes like a quality drink. I will say, as you are tasting this, sure, smell is important, but the smell is not what gives it the boot or puts it on the smooth train. It's that taste. And if it's not the first taste, then it's the second or third taste. Yeah, I'm usually going for three. I think I might be going for three with this one. It's very complex up front. I do get um, the overwhelming taste well first i'll say i don't recognize it so clearly at the time i either had too many drinks before this one or because of the fact that i used to smoke i couldn't taste it yeah Um, but it's um the first sip the warming character is like the overwhelming thing it just finishes very it gives you that warming feeling um that i think a good whiskey does but i gotta get another sip here for some for some of those other lofty goals that set out in that card hanging around the bottle. <laughs> I could tell you are definitely deep in thought about this one. Yeah, it's really good. I'm not getting, I'm not really getting specific. This could just be my own lack of um, skill at taking these or like picking out the specific flavors, but I'm getting what I'm getting. If I hadn't read this and I was just tasting, I would tell you it's very pleasant. It's a very good mouthfeel. It's almost like um, it like coats your whole mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not getting any like toast. I'm not getting chocolate. No, I'm toast not getting no, none of that. I'm getting I'm getting a very smooth and a very pleasing um, bourbon. I mean, it's there is a taste that I can tell it, the fact that they finish it in port wine barrels, but I'm not getting anything really like overwhelmingly different um, from a lot of other bourbons I've had. Do you have a sense of like what the port wine barrels are kind of doing to the taste? Are they making it a little like richer or a little more syrupy? 
I think that's the intent. That's what it's supposed to be giving these unique characteristics that they mentioned with like the vanilla and the ripe fruit and all that stuff. I, I'm going to go with um, my own lack of practice in picking those flavors out because I can tell that there is a little difference to the, to the way it sits. You know, you talk about sometimes you get that metallic aftertaste. Mm-hmm. So I get, I don't have the same, I wouldn't say it's metallic, but sometimes I get like a f- aftertaste from like, Oh, that isn't quite as high quality. This was a, definitely a very high quality whiskey. Like it's, it's definitely um, going on the smooth train. Nice. I have to, I have to, you know, it's a little pricey, but I mean, it's even regardless of the fact that I'm not picking out the specific flavors they're advertising. Like it just tastes really good. So, I mean, I can't hate on it. You can't hold the lack of tasting the toast notes against it. Nope. Can't, can't do it. Awesome. We got another one for the smooth train. Uh, can I ask you what, what price point can our listeners expect to see this at? This is at the $50 price point. Okay. So, but it, from your perspective, sounded like a definitive smooth train. Yes, absolutely. I was just feeling around to see if I can get to that, get to those tastes they're talking about. And maybe, maybe as I drink a little bit more of this, I might find it. But for, for 50, I mean, I'm keeping that in mind. Like I wouldn't put it on the smooth train if it wasn't holding up to like dropping 50 bucks on a bottle of whiskey. It's definitely good enough for that. So nice. All right. We got one for the smooth train. Anything else you want to add about it? Nope. Just try it. If you, if you uh, are in the mood for a $50 whiskey, try it out. Yeah. Try it out at the store. If you like it, buy it at that same store. If they ask why the seal has been broken, say it's try before you buy. Try before you buy. That's the name of the store. And when they say, no, it's not, then <laughs> just take it and leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. We got to, we got to talk about albums of the 1990s. I'm excited to talk about this. Um, I'm wondering if we'll have any double dips. Hard to say. I think we could. Um, I mean, there are some distinct styles of music where we differ. Like, I'm not going to have any metal albums on my list. I think you probably already know that. And you might have some. So certainly that that could be a difference. But I'm excited for it. Uh, So without further ado, these are our top five albums of the 1990s. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. B Pimp, what is your number five? My number five is one that I do not expect a double dip to happen with. It's uh, Caius. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and, and their album, Welcome to Sky Valley from 1994. You might know um, Caius if you're a Queens of the Stone Age fan because it was Josh Holmes' first band um, when he was a young 21 year old guitar shredder. Uh, to be fair, I do have a couple of Caius albums on my iTunes. Do you really? Yeah. So I, I have heard it. I mean, okay. wrong that it's not on my list, but Josh Holmes is awesome. Yeah, he's great. I give you credit for that. I mean, that's not, they're not, I didn't say that because I would assume you don't listen to them. I just think they're kind of an obscure band in general. <laughs> um, I love them. I think, I just love the style of music though. It's called, you know, they call it stoner rock for some reason. I don't know why that's become like the way that they refer to that Queens of the Stone Age music it's to me it's just kind of like um it's just kind of like groovy a little bit between like hard rock and heavy metal just kind of like that's how i think of it but yeah i don't really think stoner rock is the right i mean i feel like when people think of stoner they think of like grateful better fish or something or dave matthews maybe 
Yeah, it's just I don't understand why that it is the label that they use for those types of bands. It's like also called desert rock sometimes, which I could get that a little bit more because those bands came from like Joshua Tree and like you know California Desert. But um, no, it's just great. It's a great album. It's right up my alley. It's really like um, heavily riff oriented. Uh, you know, Josh Holmes a genius and. Uh, yeah, it's a good album. It's it's a band that he um, he started when he was really young, and he was just kind of like ahead of his time with the guitar. And he he went to Queens of Stone Age and became a little bit more accessible, a little bit more mainstream. But this is kind of like what they did before they cared about that. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting album. If anybody's interested in that kind of music, check it out. I right, said, so what was the year on it again? 1994. 1994. All right, great pick. Do you have, out of your picks, mine were kind of all over the 90s, but it, I feel like the decade really changed a lot from the beginning to the end. Yeah, I'm also, I t- I'm largely in the first half of the decade, but I totally agree, even with a couple of my honorable mentions, like it did definitely change a lot as it went on. All right, my number five is from the same year. So 1994, a good year, and it is Illmatic by Nas. So I think there are few hip hop albums that start to finish are better than Illmatic and start to finish are, I never want to say like an album is like perfect, but are are close to that. Like there is nothing that has gone wrong with this album. And a lot of hip hop albums, frankly, are like a little overstuffed. Um, and, and like, that's fine too. But I will say with, Illmatic, it it had, does not have a wasted track, does not have a wasted minute. New York State of Mind uh, is such a like near perfect song. The world is yours, um, and I just it's such a great debut album too. Like it's it's definitely not the only debut album I have on my list, but it's such a powerful start. That's a great one. It's in my honorable mentions. I think one of the things as like a rap nerd that I've always liked about Nas and about this album is he he kind of I think he was considered one of the people that stepped up the game as far as like technical rhyming, like the interior rhymes mm-hmm. um, where it wasn't just the ends of the verses that are rhyming. He's like rhyming in between and like all over the place. And it's just in the patterns of which he's able to do it and how like he can switch up his tempos. It's just like, even if you like the songs themselves, if you don't even pay attention to any of it are enjoyable, but then if you like really get into it, it's there's a lot in that album. Yeah. And the production is so it's not overdoing it in any way. And it like fits. I think it's the only honestly, like, Nas album where the production doesn't take away from uh, his actual rhymes in the album. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I think it's lyrically probably his strongest album. And I, I, there are several other Nas albums I really like, but the production is just like perfectly, like just minimalist enough uh, that it really, really works. Yeah, that's a great pick. All right. What's your number four? My number four, this is a band who I had three different albums on this list at one time or another. And eventually I decided that I'm going to go with my favorite to represent them on the list. It's Rage Against the Machine, Evil Empire from 1996. Nice. Iconic cover, too. Yes, definitely iconic cover. Definitely um, 
maybe what maybe probably the overlooked one of the self-titled and uh, Battle of Los Angeles. It's I think Evil Empire is one that I don't I like, for example, when I was looking at like the top 100 albums in the 90s list just to see what else is out there that I might forget. Mm. They never had Evil Empire in any of them, but I think it's one of the best albums, not only of the 90s, but like of all time. I love that album so much. It is surprising because I did like glance over a list like that too. And I just, it helped me remember a couple of albums, but for the most part, it's hard to find those like top lists and they don't reflect like what your own experience was in the 90s. Oh no, of course. But I just like to look and be like, hey, is there something that I really like that... And and what I noticed was that some of the music I just never have been into, like there's some indie bands that I've I've heard it like my bloody Valentine is like an Irish band that I've always heard is great, but I've never listened to it. I don't even know. Like it was like number two or number one on most of the lists, one of their albums. And I'm just like, I don't even know anything. It just kind of reinforces how much is out there that (laughs) you do or don't experience. But yeah, it was, this is, I just thought it was odd that evil empire never showed up anywhere. Cause I think it's, even if you know you like one of those albums more than than another like all three of them are great and i think evil empires specifically for me as i've always liked the mix of the aggression and the and the kind of the the political message and the lyrics and and the musicianship of it mm-hmm. it has just like such good energy too mhm uh all right my number 4 is outcast with aquemini from 1998 and honestly, this album, and specifically the song Rosa Parks, but this whole album is actually uh, at that point in my life, and this is eighth grade for me, when I switched primarily from listening to rock to primarily listening to, to hip-hop and rap. And this album, I think, is mostly responsible for that. It is so inventive and... I mean, Rosa Parks, I loved as a song is just like a banger. Our radio station in Seattle, Cube 93, played it like nonstop. Uh, And I still didn't get sick of it. But like the rest of the album, from like Skew Down the Barbie to uh, The Art of Storytelling Parts 1 and to uh, to, uh, the title track itself, um, it is, from start to finish, I really, really love this album. I also think it's... I've like gone back and forth whether I like this album better or whether I like Stan Konya better. I think I still like Equemini better. Uh, so it's definitely my favorite Outcast album as well. I'm a Stan Konya man myself, so I um, had Equemini in the honorable mentions, but can I cannot say a bad word about it? Yeah, it's like I couldn't. This list was so hard to to put together, but there's no way I could leave off the album that like single handedly kind of changed my musical tastes. Yeah. So had to have it. It's great. Speaking of hip hop, um, this is the one that has the best chance for us uh, to be a double dip, and also one that I could have number one easily. Um, a tribe called Quest, Low End Theory, nineteen ninety one. Nice. It's not a double dip, and I hate it's. If we had switched the order, it would have been a double dip. Oh no. Yeah, sorry. But well, it's one of those. It's one of those things. But I mean, you you know, it's just you know, we've talked about low end theory. It's 
low in theory. I mean, Midnight Marauders, don't get me wrong, also fantastic. A War Tour is one of my favorite songs, but like low in theory has just hit after hit of the duo Q-Tip, Five Dog, like the rhyme, the quality of rhymes just jammed into every song is so great that there's no way that I could ever not be a fan of a tribe called quest as soon as i realized like what was happening with them i was like they're the best it just like there was something about that duo the production the rhyme the back and forth on both low end theory and midnight marauders but i agree with you i think low end theory is better that is it just feels right yeah um no that's that's a great pick i have that uh that record and it is such a good, I don't want to sound like bass in saying it, but it, it's like such a good record to have on record. Oh, it is. Yeah. It was one of the first ones I got. Yeah. It's uh no, I love that album. It's that, that's a great pick. My number three is Nirvana. Nevermind mm. from 1991. And it took me a second. I initially had it uh, a little bit lower on the list. And then I was re-listening to it because it was such a product of Seattle. And it just, I forgot so many things about it that it not only, I think, is more responsible than anything else for launching the grunge movement in, in Seattle and across the U.S. But if you just start listening to this album, it hits you like tracks one, two, three are smells like team spirit in bloom. Come as you are. Like, is there a better three track start to an album? And then like later on the album, you have lithium and poly. It is a crazy good album. And it comes out of just like nowhere. Like there was that era where grunge was prominent coming out of Seattle and to a degree, maybe coming from Seattle, I was like, okay, this, this feels like overblown to me, but in re-listening to this album, I think I get it. It's so purely rock. Yeah, it really is. That's why, I mean, I think it was interesting that they kind of, it did spawn like so many bands um, in the nineties that came out of that. And then it did end up like kind of morphing into its own thing as the decade went on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great album. Yeah. It's, uh, I had almost forgotten it was 1991 too. Yeah. It seems early. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but, and that's what makes me think like the nineties really was a hell of a decade for music. Yeah. And that in re-listening to this album, that's what like reminded me of that more than anything else, even though I don't have a number one. Right. Um, I would think I would understand if on a list that somebody put together or that like a group of people put together where you didn't have like, like my numbers two and one are like nostalgia picks pretty much. Uh, although they're both like, I think really good albums, but I would understand if somebody, if you were trying to come up with an objective list and I don't know how you do that exactly, but if you did, I could see this album being number one. Oh, yeah. All right. What's your number two? My number two is um, another band in the grunge category, although I would say they've 
been in a lot of different categories. They helped launch this with Nirvana. It's Alice in Chains and Dirt from 1992. Great album. It's, uh, I think I have a, Alice in Chains is one of my definitely two or three favorite bands. And I think Dirt is the best album that they've ever put out. Um, and I think that it starts with Them Bones, which I recently, I have this on vinyl as well. And I recently just kind of put it on and sat down and looked at the lyrics on the sleeve. Well, I don't do that very often, but like just felt like doing it. And Them Bones is to start an album. I mean, if you're not familiar with it, like it just kicks right in. There is no intro. It is literally just Lane Stanley screams, the riff starts and it's off uh, breakneck pace right away. And they just get into it. And I think every song on the album is strong. I think Allison Chains is the quintessential band to represent that that time. And I think they're the most accomplished. I think the fact that they're still around and that they're still making good music uh, 20 years later, or no, 30 years later, uh, yeah. almost, is just a testament to like how talented they are and how great uh, they are. And I, I'm, it kind of saddens me sometimes. Cause I think, I mean, anybody that loves rock knows Allison chains, but I mean, I think a lot of people would know maybe Nirvana Foo Fighters or somebody else. That's nothing against them, but it's like, if you really go and do a deep dive in all these albums, that's Allison chains has no weak output. Like everything that they've made is great. So um, dirt is definitely hard to keep out of the top spot, but it was my number two. No, that's a great pick. And I, I like, I do feel like too, that for whatever reason, Allison Chains was just like a little bit underappreciated mm-hmm. because I think if you had to pick like three bands that people knew the best coming out of the grunge era, it was uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Yes. Yes. And Allison Chains was like probably fourth, but like, yeah. Fourth. And I don't, know why because i think dirt is better than i mean i i'd like never mind but i think dirt is better than 10 yeah um and i think 10 is amazing yeah oh yeah i have nothing to I, like i like all those bands too it's just it's not hating on any of it it's just like my own personal kind of you know what i mean like you get those bands where it's like hey wait wait a minute and i think i know some of it is because i mean Allison chains is very melancholy and kind of morose and kind of you know they may, they were on the radio, but I mean, it's not as some of them are, you have to really get into it to listen to it. It's not maybe as accessible. I don't know. That's, that's what you could argue about with a lot of different genres, but yeah. I think uh, I could see that. Yeah. Cause it's like that genre always was always dabbling in that. And even the most popular songs for like Pearl Jam were generally the like lower tempo, like longer songs, Soundgarden too. But, um, Allison Chains maybe, maybe just took that a step beyond being radio friendly. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Great pick though. Uh, my number two, I already alluded to it, but it's low end theory. Yeah. And I've I've ranked it on lists before as being my favorite overall hip hop album. I think that's still the case though. Anymore, I'm like whatever i have like a set number of hip-hop albums that i really like and it's hard to rank them above each other but anytime bugging out kicks in i'm just ready to go yep 
So uh, I don't know. Uh, I love Tribe and I love the low end theory and Midnight Marauders are, is, is great as well. I definitely have it on my honorable mentions. And frankly, I even, I really liked the 2006, 2016 or so release they had. Yeah. Uh, right before uh, Fife Dog passed away. And it's like, it was still really good. Oh yeah, it was great. That's a great album. And in preparing for this, I re-listened to People's Instinctive, which I forgot how freaking great that album is too. I always had it as like a tier lower than Low End Theory and Midnight Marauders, and maybe I still would, but it's a great album. Yeah. Uh, they had so, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, but yeah, between, um, I mean, a great output, but I really think Low End Theory kind of just rises above the rest. Um, and finishing with scenario is just like perfect button. I'm, I'm a nerd for um, like, I don't know how do you, how do you even categorize it? But I mean, when you mentioned scenario, it reminded me there was a performance on Arsenio hall when they all, when they did scenario with Buster Rhymes mm-hmm. and he comes out his verse, they showcase Buster Rhymes in that song. And like his verse with that energy that he had, and he had this like crazy Dr. Seuss hat on and they did this whole big show of like Buster Rhymes coming out through like the rest of these guys. And it's just like, it's unbelievable. It's like, this is what, this is fun. This is positive. This is hip hop. This is not anything else. It's just like the best at what they do. Um, and I've always loved going back and watching that performance of that song. Cause it's like everybody having the best time in their life. Yeah. Uh, that makes me want to like watch that right after we finish recording this. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. What is your number one? My number one is Megadeth Rust in Peace from 1990. Ooh, just snuck into the 90s. Yep. It's uh, my favorite metal album. My favorite. Like, it's my favorite a lot of things. So the fact that it came out in 1990 meant it was probably my favorite album of the 90s. But um, I heard it for the first time right when I was getting into heavy metal and it's one of the best albums ever made. Um, and it just, it just is a masterpiece. And I heard it and I remember being like, cause I had only listened to Metallica really before I heard this. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is some serious stuff. And it's only just grown over. That was probably when I was like 16 and it just only has grown over the years of like, Every all the stuff I've heard since then, I could still go back and listen to that and be like, "Wow, um, it's just great." If you like this kind of music, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're interested in it, you should listen to Rust in Peace because it is a uh, guitar virtuosic, you know, just like performance. I mean, the whole band is great, but it's just it's fantastic. It's thrash metal personified. I've never heard the album before, but if you say it's number one, maybe I should give it a listen. Yeah, try. I mean, I think I think it's accessible for anybody, but it's like, you know, it's just a thing of like, I understand certain people, they don't want to hear like heavy, heavy metal and they don't want to hear like crazy double bass and shredding and stuff like that. I get it. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but if you like it in any way, you would appreciate Rust in Peace. Nice. All right. Great. Number one. Uh, My number one is. Do you have any guess as to what it is? I have one guess. All right, go ahead, guess. The Roots? No. Uh, are you talking about Things Fall Apart? Yeah. That was that just missed my list. Okay. I, I didn't think that was your favorite Roots album, so I figured, uh, but I, that was my guess. No. 
Um, no, my number one is the presidents of the United States of America, their self-titled debut. Yes. Uh, from 1995. I, I mean, it's one of the first CDs I ever had. Uh, it's one of the first three CDs I ever had, I should say. And it's just, it is the album that prompted me to like, oh, I need to get a stereo and I need to get <laughs> CDs because I need to be able to listen to this like whenever I want to hear it. And between, I mean, the singles off were off the album were Lump and Peaches, which great tracks. It starts with Kitty though. And the back half of the album is really, really good too. Uh, between like Dune Buggy and Naked and Famous and uh, Kick Out the Jams. There's like a bunch of songs that, I mean, every song moves pretty fast. And I like the style of music where it's like pretty much every song is like under three minutes or about three minutes. Several are like under two minutes. Like they really like just like efficient, like pop rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, and not just in terms of song length, but just the instrumentation of the album is like that too. Uh, I, I don't know how much you know about the presidents, but like they make it a point of they're playing like a, uh, like modified instruments that have like two or three strings on them. And it's just awesome. They went to the same high school I went to, not at the same time, but that was like part of the reason I wanted to go to that high school too. <laughs> in Seattle so it was just like oh the presidents went here so I mean clear, it's great school then <laughs> it's just yeah I mean it's what made me want to get a stereo and uh, like and as soon as I got their CD I'm just like I there was a time where I memorized every lyric on the album and no way I could do that anymore but yeah, it's a great album that's a great pick. I should have guessed that. I can't believe it. That's, but I mean, it's a great the, the president songs that I know I love. And it's, I think it's always a delight because it's always a delight to hear other people like go back and appreciate that album too. Cause it doesn't happen like that much. It's not like canonically, you know, it came out in the same era as grunge or like toward the end of it at least. So even for the Seattle sound, it was overlooked, but I have heard people say like, oh, the president's album, that's like the an excellent road trip album. And it's true. You blast that like in your car as you're driving in the middle of nowhere. And it's like perfect for that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I love this album. It's definitely like, I knew this was number one and then the rest of the list would come after and it was a hard list to put together, but I knew this was number one. It was locked. Yep. Um, I would say the only tough part was deciding if the second president's album, which I also really like was going to be on the list also, but I, I had to put it in honorable mentions. Oh, okay. Narrowly missed. Speaking of that, we should probably get to those cause I have a lot. Yeah. Go, go for it. I'm not going to talk about all of these cause it would take a while, but let's um, okay. Depeche mode violator from 1990. Yes. Um, love that. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Siamese Dream in 93. That's my favorite Pumpkins album. I think that's definitely worthy of an honorable mention. I feel um, like Violator is my favorite 80s album that was actually released in the 90s. Yes, exactly. That's a great way to put it. It just missed being an 80s. <laughs> I think it was like January of 1990. Um, Soundgarden, we just talked about. I love Super Unknown. Um, I love Bad Motor Finger, but I think that was 89, so I didn't include that, but 
speaking of melancholy that I was talking about before, Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral from 1994, one of my favorites. Wu-Tang, Enter the Wu-Tang from 93. That was like one of those albums that I really like. But even then, my like honorable mentions list was getting so long. I was like, I guess it doesn't even make that quite. Yeah, it made it. It was it, it's I love Wu-Tang. It, it, it was barely um, it was hard. I had to cut off like 15 from this. Um, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill from 98. I love that album. Mm hmm. Oh, Radiohead. Probably my number six would be Radiohead. OK, Computer from 97. That's a great album. Like it's fantastic. It, that's a great album. Radiohead's really good. So yeah. Even if you like different types of Radiohead, like the Benz is also a really good album. Mm hmm. No, that's a that's a great pick. What I still had. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, I, I didn't want to cut you off. But since you didn't mention it around this album, did you not have the Fuji's the score then? I don't. So you prefer the Lauren Hill solo album? Interesting. I I really I don't I have nothing against the Fuji's album, but it's just, I just really love that Lauren Hill album. I gotta be honest. Secretly, I think you're right. Yeah. I secretly, the, I mean, saying it on the podcast. <laughs> the last few I have on here: are Helmet, Meantime from '92. That's a one. I just had to pick one of theirs because I like all their albums. Um, Pantera, Cowboys from Hell was also 1990. Um, Testament, The Gathering from 99 is Testament's like the forgotten thrash band. Like we were talking about Alice in Chains is the forgotten grunge band, but like they should have been the big four of thrash. They're better than Anthrax for sure. Um, but they're not, but still The Gathering is an amazing album. Uh, Opeth, Morning Rise from 96, prog metal, beautiful, long 20 minute songs, just great. Oh get really lost in them it's a lot of fun and then the last one is down uh nola from 1995 that's like new orleans grunge uh or not grunge sludge metal which is good stuff new orleans sludge metal interesting mm -hmm. i didn't even know that was a genre it is and it's it's a fabulous one huh. kind of wouldn't expect it to be a genre it's metal has about a million subgenres, so you can find anything you can put any word in front of metal and you'll find it yeah. nice um, all right. I had the, I mentioned the presidents too. had to be on there. Um, midnight Marauders violator by Depeche Mode. Of course, the roots things fall apart was on my, uh, honorable mentions. One album. I almost put it on my top five just cause I have such fond memories of it. And was like a really early album I had, but offspring smash. Oh yeah. That's a good one. It's a really good album. Um, green day, dookie, Dr. Dre, the chronic, uh, Tupac, All Eyes on Me, Weezer, both the Blue Album and Pinkerton, uh, Spearhead, Home, which is an album I really liked a lot, but couldn't quite put on my list. Uh, but it was like, it's funny because Spearhead, like Michael Franti broke with like a single maybe like 10 years ago or something like that. But he did have a bunch of music that wasn't quite so poppy before that. That was like pretty good. Uh, so I definitely recommend listening to Spearhead, Home. Uh, Elliot Smith, XO, Ben Folds 5, Whatever and Never Amen, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic, Pearl Jam 10, and then Alice in Chains, Dirt. Nice. Yeah, there was a lot of good music in the 90s. This was a hard list to put together. Yeah, it was hard. I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I had 15 more honorable mentions before I finally said, like, I can't read all of these. Yeah. Um, all right. So folks at home, 
Uh, if you're listening and you think we forgot an album from the 90s, you might be right. It's possible we forgot it, uh, and I apologize for that. But go ahead and let us know on our Twitter feed that's Whiskey Sessions, um, or email us, whiskeysessionsmusic at gmail.com, and we'll read your email on a future episode. But let's uh, read the emails that we have in the inbox now. These are your emails. You sent us emails to read. Emails! And now we'll read them. All right, B-Pimp, what do we got in the old email inbox? Dear Amets and B-Pimp, does the timeless greatness of your new EP, Whiskey Sessions 2, Another Sip, mean that it qualifies to be ranked on both the 90s and 2000s albums top five lists? Sincerely, definitely a nat- neutral observer with no bias. I, I feel the neutrality, which is what makes the statement all the more powerful. Yes. I can't disagree. I'm kind of wondering why the 80s weren't brought up. That's true. They were, I guess they had the, the 90s and 2000s on the brain. Yeah. Um, I would say yes. Yes. And the only reason it wasn't on either one of our lists is for our sure humility. Yeah. Uh, but from an objective standpoint, it, it obviously would be number one. Yeah, if we had like if we had to have a guest host for one of these ranking albums list, they would have had it as number one. But yeah, I, I think without a doubt, the top album of the 1990s is actually an EP that was released in 2020. Yes, Whiskey Sessions to another step. And you could put any you could put the decade before music was invented on this. And oh, is doing it top five albums of that decade? It, it I think that was that. the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, great email though. Uh, yeah, so we thank you. Appreciate the flattery, of course. Um, if you want to send us an email, hit us up again. That's whiskey sessions, music at gmail.com. And of course, pick up that new EP whiskey sessions to another sip. If you want to get it at the Apple store, you can get it at the Apple store. Want to get it on Spotify, get it there, get it on Amazon. There are other apps and stuff. I forget the names of almost all of them, but chances are another sip is there. So go ahead and look that up. If you want to watch it with a, a cover art designed by me, you can look at YouTube and watch it there. Beautiful shot of the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, no, it's a, a near perfect EP. And the only reason I say near perfect is because Whiskey Sessions 3 probably actually will be perfect. Correct. You have to have room for improvement. <laughs> Got to have room for growth, for sure. Uh, until then, though, uh, this is A Mets. Be pimp. You got any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with? B is for Biden. B is for Biden. Um, also for oh man, I had a joke there, but it just doesn't make sense. Or will you're be Biden fine. your time? Yeah, you're Biden your time. Uh, definitely. Okay. Until next time. <laughs> this is Amets saying peace out. And be pimp. Bye bye.